fisher, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men.
Let's give them another round of applause. What a great job. As they're leaving, Elizabeth's going to make a quick announcement concerning your children. I hope you enjoyed them as much as I did. Um, parents, just to let you know, we are still having children's worship, so your elementary age children will be in children's worship. That's where you can pick them up after the service. Our preschoolers are going to extended sessions, so that's where you can pick them up after the service. So, thank you. All right, as they go down, just to uh, want to welcome everyone to the service, and boys and girls, great job again. We're so proud of you. Thanks for leading us in worship as we begin our service. But as they go, just want to welcome you to the service. If you're visiting with us today, um, we hope that you make yourself at home, and we would love to know who you are and know how we can serve you better. So please, before you leave, if you take a minute to scan the QR code in your bulletin or um, fill that out on the, your bulletin, um, uh, the care card, and drop that in the offering plate in the back. Uh, that way we can know who you are answer any questions that you may have and encourage you to pick up a guest bag before you leave. But right now, uh, just take a minute, welcome your neighbor to the service and uh, tell them you're glad to see them whether you believe that or not. Welcome them to the service. attention if you'll be seated if you'll be seated and um, direct your attention to the stage I'm going to ask uh, Briar and Gwen Cothran to come forward for this baby dedication service when you sit all the way in the back it takes you longer to get up front I just want to mention that uh, we're going to be dedicating Liam this morning and the grandparents are Joey and Stacy Cothran John Castillo and Erica Cruz, and thank you all for being here this morning, so if you'll come this way. I used to be Briar's t-ball coach, so uh, we've come full circle here, and I just want you guys to know that I love you both. I consider it an honor to be a pastor, but more an honor to be your friends, and uh, let everybody see Liam. Is this not the most beautiful little baby boy you've ever seen in your life? He's such a cute little fella, and uh, just want to say this morning, what they're going to do is make a covenant as parents to raise Liam up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're also, as a church, going to make a covenant with Brian, Gwen, and Liam that we'll do our part in helping him come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But before we do that, let's listen to what God's Word says. And they were bringing young children to him so that he could touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the young children come to me. Do not forbid them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a young child will never enter into it. And after taking them into his arms, he blessed them, placing his hands on them. And what Jesus is telling us in this uh, verse is that every child is a gift from God, amen, and that every child uh, is welcome in God's kingdom. So Briar and Gwen, in presenting Liam to the Lord, do you promise through God's grace and the help of the church to teach your child the truths of the Christian faith, do you also promise through prayer, word, and example to bring Liam up in the nurture, discipline, and instruction of our Lord? All right. Now, congregation, as, as we talk a lot, it takes a church to raise a child. And many of you will have Liam in uh, extended session when he grows up, Awana, student ministry, Sunday school, all these various things, VBS. So do you promise to provide spiritual instruction for Liam by giving of your time, talent, and resources 
to help him come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And do you promise to pray for Briar and Gwen as they seek to raise Liam in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Or so would you respond by saying we do? All right, we have several things we want to give you this morning. We have the Lamb's Book, and I would just say that this is probably the, the best book for children and adults to explain the gospel. It's not a kid's book, but it's very um, easy for a child to understand. If you're an adult and you don't really understand the gospel and why Jesus had to die, then this book is excellent. We give this book out at every baby dedication service. If you want one, uh, we'll give it to you. Everything here is free. We also have a little Carolina Blue uh, baby New Testament because we're Christians, all right, and that's for him. We also have an ETBC children's ministry. He may not be able to wear that now. I'm not real sure. <laughs> we also have a certificate of this day. We got a lot of stuff for you. And this is a letter that says Liam Joseph Cothran, and this is between me, Liam and I, and it explains this day. It explains that his mom and dad loved him enough to dedicate him. And this is for him to open. It's sealed on the back for him to open uh, the day that he receives Christ, whether he's 5 or 55, this is his letter. And I've had several parents that have actually had to move away to other states who told me that their child, when they were 12 or 13, finally got to read their letter. So this is for Liam in his eyes only. And now we're going to pray for Liam and pray for his salvation, okay? F Fathers, we come to you in prayer. I want to thank you for Briar and Gwen and for their families. Lord, I've known them a long time. I was honored to officiate their wedding, honored to dedicate their child today. And Lord, we lift Liam up to you. And Lord, nothing is more important in his life than his salvation. And Father, whether you choose to save him at a young age or an older age, Father, we know that you have a great plan and purpose for his life. And Father, I pray that you would uh, use him for your honor and for your glory. And I pray that because of his birth, that the name of Jesus would be exalted and the kingdom of God would be expanded. And Lord, I pray for Briar and Gwen as they seek to raise him in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And you meet the needs that they have as a married couple and you bless their lives as well. And we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do. And we love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Love y'all.
Mike, if you'll show this picture on the screen. Uh, this is Stella Hanshu. She's the daughter of Ray and Katie and the granddaughter of Ginger Annis. <clears throat> and she's at Brenner's Hospital right now. And she has leukemia. And Ginger asked if we would pray for her this morning. She's four years old. Uh, just found out a couple months ago that she has um, this awful disease. And uh, they, they really need our prayers uh, this morning. So I'm going to ask as the praise team and the choir uh, leads us in this song, if you'll meet me here at the altar and let's lift her up in prayer this morning. So if you will come and meet me here, and I'm going to ask Rhett uh, Miller, who's one of our deacons, if he'll lead us in this prayer time. pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us in your house today. Today we pray for Stella, that your will in her life be done. We pray for her sweet family that this church holds so dear to our hearts. We pray for the doctors and the staff at the hospital to help her the best way they know how. God, we know you're in the healing business, and if that's your will today, help Stella in this time. We thank you for all you've done in this church recently and for keeping Sidney Lou and Kelly safe during their transplant surgeries. During this time, we also want to pray and thank you for the real reason of Christmas and help us remember always to celebrate that meaning. And Lord, as we pray for healing in our pain today, I'm reminded on the cross where Jesus paid for our sorrow, our pain, our healing. Lord, help us to remember that day to day. Help those families that have lost loved ones to stick to that during this season. I'd especially like to pray for those that were involved in the tornado in Tennessee yesterday. Help those that lost their homes and loved ones. Also, Lord, help the ones that are struggling to know our pain in this earthly bodies are temporary, temporary, for we can all be healed through eternity, through salvation. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You are
years ago there was a clamor and commotion once upon a midnight clear the heavens celebrated because the long awaited Emmanuel was finally here and in the fields of fighting shepherds heard the tidings when the angel of the Lord see points on a map. They aren't just places to us. We see stories of lives living without the hope found in Jesus. Today, somewhere between the Great Commission and the Great Multitude, we find ourselves facing the world's greatest problem, lostness. Even in the midst of natural disasters, humanitarian crises, and political instability, 
Southern Baptists send IMB missionaries to give their lives to the lost, living amongst those who have never heard the gospel. People in hard-to-reach places, people in cities, and those who are dispersed and displaced around the world. At the IMB, we believe that missionary presence cultivates gospel access. Gospel access that knows no geographic or social boundary. We believe that missionary presence fuels gospel belief, and we see the results. We see lives transformed, generations forever changed, and churches planted. Local expressions of the church that take ownership and thrive. God has made our purpose clear. Together, we seek to take the gospel to every nation, to all tribes, to all peoples, to all languages. We don't see places on a map. We see our place in fulfilling the Great Commission. This is our mission. This is your mission. And we are reaching the nations together. Thank you. Uh, the video was about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And on your uh, tithing envelopes, you have all these different separate places that you can give. And uh, what, I've, what I've chosen to do in my life now is to give my tithe and then every week or almost every week to give a portion of whatever's left to the uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. The reason you need to do that is we have about 3,600 missionaries that are overseas in last year. They saw over 150,000 people uh, come to know Christ. Over 107,000 of those were baptized. And I'm talking about places like Haiti, certain places in the Philippines, the Middle East, places you and I will never go. And uh, what you do is whenever you give to this church, we give to the convention, which gives to the IMB, which sends these missionaries out. And they, they're, on, they're on the field, and they're just like a staff member here. Okay, you pay for their salary, their housing, their retirement. They need to fly back home. That way they can stay on the mission field and share the gospel. And the IMB is the greatest mission organization on the planet. They have no equal. And when you give, okay, to the Southern Baptist Convention, you're supporting all that. So I want to encourage you to greatly consider giving as you give to this church. Part of that goes to there as well. But please give to that. Uh, I think we gave over $20,000 or more last year, uh, probably more than that. But we'd like to give a lot more than that this year, so carefully consider giving to that. I, I'm a big believer in it. Thankful to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, they do so much uh, with so, such a small amount of money that, um, that it's just a blessing to be able to give to that. So if you have your Bibles, stand with me and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. And this is rarely preached from and very rarely read. We got a lot of uh, interesting names here, and if I mispronounce it, you can correct me uh, after church is over, all right? But notice what the Bible says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now that is so important because you're talking about the royal line of the Messiah and the racial line. If Jesus did not fulfill both, he can't be the Messiah. If this genealogy is not true, if it's not a historical fact, then Jesus cannot be the Messiah. And I'll talk about it in just a moment. Abraham beget Isaac. Isaac beget Jacob. Jacob beget Judah. Judah and his brothers. Judah beget Perez. Perez beget Perez and Zahar by Tamar. Perez beget Hezron. Hezron beget Ram. Ram beget Amenadab. Amenadab begot Nashon. Nashon beget Salmon, not Salmon. 
Salmon begat Boaz by Ruth, by Rahab, I'm sorry, Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. Obed begat Jesse, Jesse begat David the king, David the king begot Solomon by who, who had been the wife of Uriah, so they didn't even mention Bathsheba by name. Solomon begat Rehoboam, Rehoboam begat Abijah, Abijah begat Asa, Asa begat Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begat Joram, Joram begat Uzziah, Uzziah begat Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, and we'll look at him. Manasseh begot Ammon, Ammon begot Josiah, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, and the words get even harder, Jeconiah begot Shetel, Shetel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abad, Abad begot Eliakim, Eliakim begat Azor, Azor begat Zadok, Zadok begat Achim, Achim begat Eliad, Eliad begat Eleazar, Eleazar begat Mathen, Mathen begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, and all of God's people said, just name your kid Joe or Fred, all right, it makes it a lot easier. If y'all be seated, let me pray for us. Fathers, we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you. Lord, for your word. Lord, I'm reminded that every word in the Bible is important and has significance. Lord, each name, it's amazing when we look at the family tree of Jesus, and we're just going to look at six people real quick, quickly this morning, how that you can take flawed, imperfect people, Lord, even people that hate you, and Lord, through that line, you can bring about Christ. And all this, all these names are here because you wanted to save people from their sins. So, Father, this is very important. This genealogy is a historical proof that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And Lord, our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is not an unsophisticated faith. Lord, our faith is an intelligent faith. Lord, we believe in a person who is real, who is virgin born, who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross, and who historically rose from the dead. And that's who we place our faith in. And Father, I'm so thankful that Christianity is the only religion in the world that can be backed up by history and historical facts. So, Father, everything I'm presenting this morning is historically true. It cannot be debated. And, Father, I pray that it would give us great comfort and confidence in who we have placed our faith in. And we'll thank you for what you do for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'll notice here on the screen, notice the, the verse, verse 1, the book of the genealogy. That's the only place in the Bible that this is listed Matthew, who was a tax collector, he was a Jewish tax collector, which made him one of the most hated men in Israel. Now, the Israelites uh, d despised the Romans because they uh, basically were free slaves to the Roman society, but they really despised tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, because what they were doing is they were working for Rome, in a sense, and they were also overtaxing their own people. So when Matthew writes this gospel, you got to understand that the fact that he even wrote it is a miracle because God saved Matthew, changed his life, he gave up tax collecting, and he's writing the gospel of Matthew to prove to his Jewish uh, family and friends that Jesus Christ is of the Jewish line of David and Abraham. So important. He even starts out by saying Jesus, and that word means sa Savior. And then the word Christ is so important because that means the anointed one, which the whole Old Testament pointed to the fact that one day Messiah would come. And what, what Matthew is trying to say is this, Jesus is alone the rightful heir to the throne of David, and no one but him in history could fulfill this genealogy. That's so important. It's really important who you place your faith in. 
Imagine how God ordered each generation at each point in history to fulfill this genealogy. I mean, you have some really interesting people here, and we're going to look at a couple in just a moment. And what Matthew is saying is this, the king came from this genealogy. And this genealogy is not of social elites. This is not a genealogy of all winsome and pure people. Part of the genealogy is filled with people who are filthy, immoral, and despicable. The bottom and base of humanity. And they would birth the Messiah. This is how the sovereign hand of God, even in the tiniest details, comes to pass because God wants to show his grace to all people. Notice the word Jesus. It's the first name in the New Testament. It's the last name in the New Testament. It's like Jesus bookends the New Testament. And what Matthew is saying is this. Jesus is the Messiah and we have historical proof. Now think about this. Jewish people argue against the resurrection of Jesus but not the genealogy of Jesus. And if this family tree is not correct, none of us are going to heaven. None of us. Because you don't have a Savior. You can't place your faith in Jesus like you would place your faith in the tooth fairy. All right? You can't place your faith in Jesus like you would place your faith in Peter Pan. Jesus is a real historical figure, and that's who you place your faith in. And what Matthew is doing is he's showing the legal descent of Jesus as the king of Israel. Now think, one person put it this way. He says, and I'm going to read his quote, We know from history that the Sanhedrin kept the oral genealogies of Israel. They took great care of this because it was very important that every Jew knew from which tribe he came. For instance, there could not be a priest unless they could prove they were of the descendant of Levi. Genealogies determined occupation and status, land rights and tribal connection. It was almost like your social security card. Priest had to track, a priest had to track his line back to Aaron or, he, Aaron or he had no job. In Ezra, when they went back to Jerusalem and wanted to set up a sacrificial system, several men volunteered but were told no because they could not prove it with their genealogy. The reason Herod was not accepted was because he was a non-Jew, and that's why he had some genealogies destroyed. And all these genealogies were destroyed in AD 70, so in our day, no Jew knows which tribe he belongs to. The genealogies during Matthew's time, however, were carefully guarded by the Sanhedrin. They were sacred and worth their weight in gold. The Sanhedrin were very careful in their care of them and would check Matthew's genealogy. Notice this picture on the screen. This is Jesus' genealogy going all the way back to Adam. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you know who your grandparents are? Just raise your hand. All right, keep them up. How many of you know who your grandparents are? Great-grandparents? How many of you know who your great-great-grandparents are? How many of you know who your great-great-great-grandparents are? Jolita, I think you're lying. <laughs> All right, now think about it. The more you go back, the further you go back, nah, Jolita rarely lies. She hardly ever lies. But the more you go back, the further you go back, you just don't know. I don't even know who my great-great-grandparents are. I mean, I don't really care. <laughs> Jesus can go all the way back to Adam. I mean, Jesus' line can go all the way back to Adam. And there's not a historian that's ever lived whether they're a Christian or a non-Christian, even if they're atheists, who can, who can refute that. You just can't do it. So your faith is, is a, is, your faith is in Christ, but your faith is in a historical fact. A lot of people don't understand that. And that's what Matthew is trying to prove, that Jesus is from the royal line of David, which he had to be, and he's also from the racial line of Abraham. Think about the royal line of David. They call him the son of David. When the angel came to Joseph at night, Listen to what he says in Matthew 1.20. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
son of David, showing that his line, had the Messiah, had to come through his line because he had to be of David. When Jesus walked the earth in his early ministry, two blind men followed him, and they said this about Jesus. Have mercy on us, and they didn't list his first name, son of David. And what these blind men are saying is this. We know that you're the Messiah. You're the son of David. After he, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was healed, all the multitudes were amazed, and they said this in Matthew 12, 23. Could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? When a woman from Canaan came with her demon-possessed daughter, listen to what she says. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, calling him the Lord Jesus, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And what this Gentile person was saying is, I believe that you're the true Messiah, and I believe you have the power to heal my daughter. When Jesus rode on the donkey, or the colt, going into the city, and the people started shouting, Hosanna, listen to what they said. Then the multitudes who went out before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And all, them were, all those people were saying is, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is of the royal line of David. Paul puts it this way. He says, Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's the King, to the glory of God the Father. All Jews in Jesus' day understood that this would be the title of the Messiah, and some accepted Jesus as that, and some rejected him. So who is Jesus to you? In your heart of heart, hearts, are you placing your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of David? Also, you have the racial line of Jesus. God promised Abraham that the Messiah would be born from him. Now, Abraham was a lost pagan idolater. He worshipped the moon. Imagine looking up at the moon and worshipping it. And then God comes to him, and Abraham was not looking for God, but God was looking for Abraham, and God singled him out and said this, You're mine. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians all uh, accept Abraham as the father of their religion. But in Genesis 15, 6, it said, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. By faith alone, Abram was saved and became Abraham. Abraham believed in the person and promises of God, the least likely man on earth to begin this genealogy. He had eight sons, but only one was part of God's plan, and his name was Isaac. When, when the Jews uh, talked to Jesus about being the son of David, they could kind of accept that a little bit because you could be born that way. In, in that line, but when he said he was the son of Abraham, now that made them really upset. Listen to what John 8, 48 says. Jesus arguing with the Jewish leaders, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I've come here from God. I've not come of my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks native language. He is a liar and the father of lies, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is you do not belong to God. So what Jesus is telling these Jewish leaders, God's chosen people in the Old Testament is this. God is not your father. We're not all God's children, is what he's saying. You have to place your faith and trust in Jesus. The Jews answered him and said, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? 
And Jesus says, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there's one who seeks it and he he's a, is the judge. Excuse me. Verily, I tell you the truth, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaim, now we know you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Did you say that whoever obeys your word will never see death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glory myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I, if I said I did not... I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they told him, and you have seen Abraham. Verily, truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple guards. And what Jesus was saying is this, I come not only from the royal line of David, but also from the racial line of Abraham. If he does not fulfill both of these, he cannot be the Messiah. So when you look at his genealogy, you have the royal line, you have the racial line, and then you have uh, of these people, and then you have just people that you wouldn't think would be in the royal line of Jesus. Now notice one man there, his name is Manasseh. Now let me read you his bio. In 2 Kings 21, it says this about this king. He did more evil than the pagan nations around him. He sacrificed his sons in the fiery belly of the idol Molech. Look at this picture on the screen. This is an artist's rendition of what Molech was and who he was. And what happened when Manasseh, who was in the royal line of Jesus, became king, he says, we're going to worship this God. And in order to get this God to make it rain or prosper us, what we're going to do is burn our kids on, if you see the arms outstretched, they had a pan under there, and you would offer your child to, to this God as a sacrifice. They did it often. They, they did it in the Valley of Hinnom, which we call, which we call uh, and Jesus called the Valley of Hinnom in the New Testament. And they would do that, and Manasseh, who is in the royal line of Jesus, did that. He also did this. He practiced witchcraft. He used black arts. He had mediums, channelers in his council. He placed an idol in the temple precinct. Manasseh murdered so many people, one historian wrote, that he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with innocent blood. That's part of Jesus' birth line. Jesus was also related to Jehoshaphat, who's mentioned in verse 8, a man who had a growing fascination with Ahab and Jezebel. Not exactly people worth admiring. He sanctioned the marriage of his son Jehoram, who's in verse 8, to a woman named Athaliah. Now listen to this quote from one scholar. He says, Behind the scenes, Satan was constantly working to try to prevent and stamp out the Davidic line of the kings in order to destroy the promise of God that the Messiah would be in the direct lineage of David. And he also succeeded because when Jehoram dies, now listen, this is so important because he's in the royal birth line of Jesus, and his heir dies as well, Athaliah takes the throne and then massacres every possible relative that could take the throne away from her. She almost succeeds in wiping out the royal line of David. So when Jehoram becomes king, he marries Athaliah. She's a wicked person. She's the first and only queen monarch in Jewish history. And when her husband dies, she says, in order for me to stay on the throne, I'm going to kill all of his children. Okay? Happy Mother's Day. So she starts, she kills them all, except for there's one kid that stays alive. Now notice on the screen, his name was Joash. So he had one child, all right, or that was Jehoram's uh, grandson, 
Because Isaiah took the throne and then he died and then she started killing all her grandkids as well. Because she wanted no one to be, uh, to be able to usurp the throne. And one person put it this way, when Athaliah received word that her son was dead, she seized the opportunity to usurp the throne by murdering Hosiah's sons, her own grandsons, thus eradicating the entire royal line, family line, so that she could take the throne unbeknownst to Athaliah, a single grandchild escaped the massacre. Now notice what the Bible says. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. And as she rules the land, the, the priest in Israel finds out that there's one child left in the Davidic line. His name is Joash. And he's being hidden in the temple for six to seven years. So what he does is he calls the temple guard and he calls a lot of soldiers together and he says, let's go and let's get this baby. Or not baby, but he's a little boy now. So they bring him out, the Bible says, and they have this big... The Bible says, Jehoiada brought out the king's son, Joash, and put the crown on him. He presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him, and the people clapped their hands and shouted, Long live the king. The problem is the queen was still alive. So she's seeing this from the temple, and she comes running out of the temple, and she starts yelling, Treason, treason, treason. Now, this is a woman who killed her sons and her grandchildren to stay on the throne, and she, she, finally, she just suddenly realizes that there's one left. There's one kid left. And whenever they put a crown on his head and the priest who had the right to do this declares him king, gives him a covenant of the law, all the people shouted and clapped. She runs out of the temple to the edge of the temple grounds and she starts yelling treason. And she goes just to the temple grounds because you can't kill somebody in the temple. And the priest says, she'll come. <laughs> when Athaliah comes out, okay, in a good Christian way, they took a sword and chopped her up in pieces. Now notice what the Bible says. It says, all the people of the land rejoiced. The city was calm because Athaliah had been slain by the sword at the palace. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. If he did not live, you would have no Messiah. God is sovereign in the tiniest details of life. So God takes Manasseh, who was a child sacrificer. Jehoram was even worse. He worked through Athaliah, who was one of the most wicked women to ever live. And he saves a little baby boy alive so Jesus could be born through the royal line of David. Now, why would he do that? Think about your salvation date when God saved you. Why did God do that? That's why he did it. Now, notice Matthew is the only genealogy probably in Jewish history, especially at that time, who listed women. They would not list women. Notice who he listed. He listed Tamar in Genesis 38. Her husband dies. She has no heir. She can't have a baby. So what does she do? She says, I'm going to make sure I have a baby. So she dresses up like a a Canaanite prostitute who would be prostituting in the temple and she goes out to her father-in-law at night and she disguises herself and they have relations and she has twin boys and one of them is through the Davidic line of David. Isn't that amazing? That's some God and light stuff right there. All right, so That's the stuff my grandma used to watch. Then you have Rahab. You know what Rahab was? She was a prostitute which says she sold herself for money. Now think about this. She's in Jericho, this wicked, wicked country. If you study the history of these places, they're just so wicked. And Rahab lives in the walls of Jericho that tumbled down. And when God sent, or when, when they, Joshua sent two spies in the land, Rahab hit them. And she said, I've heard about your God, and I believe he's the, he's the one God. And they said, really? And she says, they're looking for you, so I'm going to hide you. So she hit them, and everybody came looking for them and they went to Rahab and said do you have those spies she said no so she lied for a good cause 
And then at night, she said, you go down here, you go down this way, you go down that way, and you'll get back to where your people are. She says, the only thing I ask you to do is remember me when you come to destroy the city. And they said, put this scarlet cord out your window, and we'll come get you and take you out, and then the rest of the place is going to be destroyed. So when the children of Israel come to Jericho, march around seven times, before the, the walls fall, they get Rahab and take her back to Israel. And when Rahab gets back to Israel, she marries a, a, a man from Israel, and through the, her line comes Jesus. So you got all these wicked people. You have Tamar, who's in an ancestral relationship. You have Rahab, who was a prostitute. Then you have Ruth, and what makes this so interesting is that Ruth was a Moabite. And Moabites weren't even allowed into Israel because they were so wicked. So in Moab, you have this famine. Ruth tells her mom, I'm going to go to, the, to Israel because I believe in their God. And this Moabitess goes to Israel, which the only job she could have would be a slave because she's a Moabitess. And the reason that is is because the, Moab, the Moabites come from Lot. When Lot was in Sodom and left Sodom, he got really drunk one night and had relations with two daughters. Weird stuff, isn't it? One was named Ammon from the Ammonites, and one was named Moab from the Moabites, some of the most wicked people in the history of the world. And Ruth is a Moabite. Ruth goes to Israel, gives her life to Israel's God, and then God saves her, and then God uses her and her life to bring about the Messiah. All right? Then you have Bathsheba, which Matthew wouldn't even name. David and Bathsheba, the most, uh, the most famous one-night stand in the history of the world. All right. So when Bathsheba and David give birth, they give birth to Solomon. That's why you have the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Some of the greatest writings in the history of the world happened through David and Bathsheba. Now think about this for a moment. All right. Because Jesus was born and Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead and because Rahab, who was a prostitute, placed her faith in Jesus, one day she's going to stand before Jesus just as righteous as Jesus is. Is that not amazing? God forgave her past sins, her present sins, and her future sins. Think about Bathsheba and David. Imagine what she lived with all those years. But one day she's going to stand before Jesus and stand before God, and he's going to declare her not guilty for all time, just as righteous, just as clothed in righteousness as Jesus is. So you see Jesus' family tree and you think you have, a, have an odd family tree. It's full of murderers, adulterers, bigamists, polygamists, idol worshiping, child sacrificing, and more proud men and women. And when I look out here, you know what I see? I see a bunch of that as well. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Think, make, think this thought. Matthew is saying this, Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What does he save us from? He saves us from the wrath of God, from hell, and from ourselves. Which means this, Christianity alone is right. If that makes you mad, I'm sorry. Christianity alone is right. You have one Savior, and that is Jesus. All other religions and cults are wrong. They have no Savior. We have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I would say this, it is possible to be sincere in your faith, yet be sincerely wrong. Who is your faith in? It is impossible to be religious, moral, and upright, and yet be on your way to hell. Rahab, once again, was a prostitute who placed her faith in Jesus, if you will, 
And she'll stand before God one day, not guilty of any of it, because she has been justified by faith. Probably the most beautiful word in the Bible is the word justification, which says we are justified by faith and we have peace with God, which means you're legally declared not guilty for all time. What amazed me about Jesus is not just the sins that I committed before I got saved that everybody knew about, and trust me, they knew about them. Some of them were in the paper, but also the sins that nobody knew about. That stuff you tell nobody, that stuff that you keep between you and nobody else, that, that scum of the earth stuff which we all have, that Jesus Christ knows about it. Now listen, and he orchestrated all of history from Adam. Every tiny detail to save a little baby named Joash become king at seven years old because of all your filth and all your scum and all those things that nobody knows about that you do. You know, King David got so convicted, he said, Lord, forgive my secret faults. All that stuff. That God loved you so much, and he knows all about that, that he says, I choose to die in your place, and I'll save you, and I'll forgive you, and I'll justify you for eternity. Friends, nobody loves you like Jesus does. I know your mama loves you. She don't love you like Jesus does. I know your, your grandmother loves you, but she don't love you like Jesus does. Jesus Christ knows the worst about you, and he loves you the most. Why would you reject Jesus today? The Bible says this, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, I've shared this oftentimes when I was 20 and I was lost, that the man from this church shared the gospel with me. It was counseling. It was court-appointed counseling. And he made this statement, are you right with God? And I just laughed. I said, are you kidding me? No. Are you kidding me? And he says, you can be. And I basically told him, I don't believe you. I made good grades in school. I didn't believe in fairy tales. And he said, Jesus Christ historically lived, historically died, historically rose from the dead. And if you place your faith in him tonight, he'll save you for eternity. And on October 30th, 1990, 20 years old, on a Tuesday night, I gave my life to Jesus, and for the first time in my life, I was right with God. Right with God. No other religious figure in the history of the world can do that for you. Only Jesus. So you can say, I got a bad past. So? I got a bad present. So? <laughs> my future don't look good. So? Who cares? You know, the least judgmental people on the planet should be Christians. Because we all got junk, don't we? We all got closets. We all got all these things. So we should be the most loving, caring, forgiving people on the planet because that is the God we serve. You can be saved. You're a sinner and guilty before God. You will stand in Christ's righteousness or your own. And I would ask you this morning, have you been born again? I'm going to ask you to stand with me as our musicians come. We're going to give a real short invitation. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that this morning. If you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes, we're not going to give a long invitation this morning. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to do that now. Jesus said it's the faith of a little child, but it's not an unintelligent faith. You believe in a historical person. And this morning, you can bow your heads and close your eyes and say, Jesus, today I give my life to you. Today I place my faith and trust in you. For the first time, Jesus, I ask you and you alone to forgive me of my sins and I ask you to save me today in Jesus' name. And if you're a Christian today, God knows all about your past. 
all about your present, and I would encourage you to give him your future. Don't live in guilt and condemnation, live in victory, because Paul says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And rejoice in your salvation today. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, there's a little bit of us in this family tree. Lord, there's some people here this morning who are not in your family. And I pray that by your grace and through the Holy Spirit that you would save them for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I'm reminded that your word, said, word says anyone who is not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into hell. Lord, that's a legal declaration. And Father, I pray that everyone who's here today would, would know that they know that their name is written down in heaven by the very hand of God. And Father, we thank you and praise you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. As Sharon leads us in the song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Take up my cross and so much for being with us today. I want to remind you that there's no Sunday evening services. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you'd like to talk to myself or one of the staff, we'd love to talk with you about that. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon and you're dismissed.